Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. I'd like to take a few minutes of your time to introduce you to someone you may already have heard of, but most likely have never even given a second thought. If you've listened to this program long enough, you know for a fact that I'm not a big fan of athletes, professional athletes especially, actors, actresses, musicians, even though I play music, especially when they turn into the human pieces of filth that most of them turn out to be. But being a musician myself and being someone who played a little bit of sports back in the day, I know that there are good people even in those groups of self-righteous, arrogant, cocky individuals. On March 8, 1953, a young man named James Rice, better known as Jim Ed Rice, was born. If you know anything at all about American history, the 1950s were still a time of racial turmoil, where blacks were not allowed to eat at the same restaurant counters as whites, had to use separate bathrooms and different doorways to enter and exit. It truly was a time of stupidity in our American history. Jimmy, as his young friends would call him, grew up in South Carolina during a time of segregation. But by the time he became a senior in high school, integration allowed him to attend T.L. Hanna High School. And it gave him an opportunity to be seen by scouts. He was highly talented in football and basketball, but he was exceptionally gifted in baseball. By the time he was 18, he was actually drafted by the Red Sox. And back in those days, you could spend an entire career with one team, which is exactly what Jim Rice did. His entire career was spent with the organization. It took him a few years in the minors to grow and develop, but by 1975, he was a bona fide asset. Jim Rice was voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in July of the year 2009. He had one hell of an extraordinary baseball career with Major League Baseball. He was a left fielder. He was a designated hitter. He was the 103rd member voted in by the Baseball Writers Association. He played all 16 of his years for Boston. He was an eight-time American League All-Star. He was named the American League's Most Valuable Player in 1978 after becoming the first Major League player in 19 years to hit for 400 bases. He went on to become the ninth player to lead the Major Leagues in total bases in consecutive seasons. He actually joined Ty Cobb as one of only two players to lead the AL in total bases three years in a row. He batted 307 times, collected 100 RBIs eight times, 200 hits four times, and had 11 seasons with 20 home runs or more. He led the league in home runs three times, RBIs, and slugging percentage twice each. In the late 1970s, Jim Rice was part of the sport's greatest outfielders, along with people like Fred Lynn and Dwight Evans, who was his teammate, by the way, for his entire career. Jim Rice continued the tradition of his predecessors Ted Williams and Carl Yastrzemski as a power-hitting left fielder who played an entire career for those Red Sox. He actually ended his career with a 502 slugging percentage. He ranked 10th in AL history with 382 home runs. His career marks in homers, hits, RBIs, and total bases still to this day remain Red Sox records. 
Although Dwight Evans eventually surpassed his Boston record for career runs scored at bats and extra bases by a right-handed hitter, when Rice retired, his 1,503 career games in left field ranked 7th in American League history. Now, I'm not talking about Mr. Rice's accomplishments on the field. The thing that impresses me most about this man is what happened to him on August 8, 1982. You see, Rice was playing, and a line-drive foul ball hit a four-year-old boy square in the head at Fenway. Jim Rice realized in a flash that it would take the EMTs too long to arrive, so he cut through the crowd, sprang from the dugout, scooped up the boy and laid him on the dugout floor and called for the Red Sox medical team to begin treating him. When the boy arrived at the hospital 30 minutes later, the doctors said without a doubt that it was Jim Rice's prompt actions that saved this boy's life. He actually returned to the game in his blood-stained uniform, a real badge of courage. And after visiting the boy in the hospital later, he realized the family was of modest means. Jim Rice, a real high-class player, stopped by the business office of that hospital and instructed that the bill be sent to him. This is what a sports hero looks like. In fact, looking back, it was early in the season at Fenway. The young boy named Jonathan was four years old and was attending his very first Major League Baseball game. His favorite player at that time, Dave Stapleton, stepped up to bat and smashed a foul ball into the first base line seats. It struck the young boy Jonathan in the temple and split his skull. As blood was streaming out of his head, Jim Rice saw no one taking action. So he leapt out of the dugout, cradled the young unconscious child, and rushed him onto the Red Sox clubhouse straight into the trainer's room. By all accounts, team accounts, family accounts, medical doctor accounts, it was Jim Rice's swift and decisive action that saved young Jonathan's life. Yes, he had lots of accolades, 1978 MVP, all of those accomplishments. And to this day, that is the one thing that would impress me the most. Jim Rice would say he was just doing the right thing that day, and he would be correct. He had a daughter, Carissa, a son named Chansey. And after retiring, Jimmy Rice went on to be a baseball analyst for a network. So in keeping with our sports theme, I thought I would point out some true hypocrisy in sports. You can sweat on each other for 48 minutes while playing basketball, bumping into one another, touching each other, breathing in each other's face. You all touch the same ball with your same sweaty hands. Oh, but you better wear a mask on the bench. And you can't meet the opposing team at half court after the game to shake hands or high five. You gotta hand it to the old scientists. Wear a mask on the sidelines. What a mess. I just saw a meme on one of the social media networks. It was a photograph of a pizza box, which clearly states, open box before eating pizza. The caption on the meme says, we're not gonna make it, are we? I'd like to share something else from social media. It was an obituary that was printed allegedly in the London Times. I've got it third or fourth or fifth or 1500th hand, but I have a copy of it. It says, Today we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend who has been with us for many years. 
No one knows for sure how old he was, since his birth records were long ago lost in bureaucratic red tape. He will be remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come in out of the rain, why the early bird gets the worm. Life isn't always fair. Maybe it was my fault. This individual lived by simple, sound financial policies. Don't spend more than you can earn. And reliable strategies. Adults, not children, should be in charge. His health began to deteriorate rapidly when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a schoolmate. Teenagers suspended for school for using mouthwash after lunch. And a teacher terminated for reprimanding an unruly student. These things only worsened his medical condition. He lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing a job that they themselves had failed to do in disciplining their unruly children. His health declined even further when schools were required to get parental consent to administer sun lotion or an aspirin to a student, but could not inform parents when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. He lost the will to live as churches became businesses and criminals began to receive better treatment than their victims. He took a beating when you could not defend yourself from a burglar in your own home and the burglar could sue you for assault. He gave up the will to live after a woman failed to realize that a steaming cup of coffee was hot and she spilled a tiny bit in her lap and was promptly awarded a huge settlement. He was preceded in death by his parents, trust and truth, by his wife, discretion, by his daughter, responsibility, and by his son, reason. He is survived by his stepchildren. I know my rights. I want it now. Everyone else is to blame. I'm a victim and pay me for doing nothing. By now you know the identity of the deceased. It was and is common sense. By the way, not too many people attended his funeral because few people even realized he was gone. If you remember common sense, please share this with someone else. Or if not, simply join the majority and do absolutely nothing. Rest in peace, common sense. Nowhere on planet Earth are you missed more than here in America, especially with Joe Biden as your president and Camelto Harris in the second chair. The common sense question of the afternoon for me is, do you really need to see the tax returns of a billionaire businessman who gave up making millions of dollars to become a politician? Or don't you think it would be more commonsensical to see the tax returns of the multitudes of politicians who became millionaires on meager government salaries? Common sense, folks. It is lacking. My darling, precious young daughter, who is in her mid-twenties now, sent me something. It says, if you call out sick to work, do not feel guilty that you are leaving your co-workers shorthanded. Your boss did that. If the company you work for refuses to hire enough employees to cover and didn't make plans to cover the shifts of those who might call out, it is their fault. Don't include your human needs in your boss's calculation. It's not your fault. 
If you've earned those sick days, you deserve to be able to take those sick days. Welcome to the 2021 Corporate Sensitivity and Social Justice Awareness Training Class. I would like to introduce myself as Pat McGroin. He transitioning to her, in flux, questioning, and floating. There are a few housekeeping rules that we've been advised to go over before we begin. First of all, you may have noticed that we've had to use the gymnasium for this presentation in order to accommodate social distancing for all of our 54 employees. Your chairs are spaced exactly nine feet apart to account for potential drift and airflow. The polypropylene resin partitions are anchored securely to the floor. Please do not attempt to move them. I understand that it might be difficult for some attendees to hear. So we have situated our seating arrangement in a semicircular pattern with all chairs facing directly towards the podium for the benefit of all of our OCD participants who require structure. Except, of course, those which are randomly placed in order to accommodate those persons who see patterns as part of a government conspiracy to control people. And of course, for those few ADA-required non-chair partitioned areas to accommodate those who are mobility challenged and those who identify as such. As you might be aware, we here at the corporation strive to maintain an inclusive and nurturing environment and we do our best to keep our volume levels low to accommodate the sensitivity of those who may feel threatened by loud vocal expressions. We will do our best not to make eye contact with any of you, because some persons may have emotional issues or distresses associated with eye contact. We've turned off all the electric lighting to appease those who have an aversion to artificial light. We've opened the doors to allow natural light to fill our space. To those of you with allergies to the air or pollen from outdoors, we have provided partitions with climate-controlled clear mylar bubbles for you to sit in. And due to the enclosed nature of those bubbles, we've had to incorporate speakers into the chambers. We apologize for this inconvenience, but we want everyone to be able to hear our presentation. A volume control is located on your seat's armrest. For those of you with hearing disabilities, we have American Sign Language interpreters on both sides of the podium. For our non-English speaking participants, we've engaged the services of 12 language interpreters. You can use the keypad on your partition to dial the number of the foreign language interpreter of your choosing. We apologize, but we were unable to secure a Klingon interpreter for this session. We kindly ask that you refrain from eating, from drinking, from chewing gum, and from biting your nails during the presentation due to the offensive nature of mastication and ingestion that occurs to some of our participants. And do please make sure that you are in compliance with all of our corporate policies regarding colognes, perfumes, and deodorants with any artificial scents. Also, please comply with our policy against using scented shampoos, conditioners, laundry soaps, or other additives which might offend the olfactory sensitive members of our group. Please, as always, make sure not to ask any questions that might make another participant feel inferior, uninformed, 
uneducated or otherwise offended, as this is a loving and caring space. Please refrain from making any comments during our presentation, as the interruption will be detrimental to our mission of inclusiveness. We thank you all in advance for not wearing any red ties, as they truly infuriate the blue tie-wearing members. Please, when identifying yourself or referring to any other person, make sure that you don't use any offensive pronouns. I know this will be challenging for some of you to hear, but in order to ensure that every person in this safe space, in this presentation, understands which pronouns are no longer acceptable, I have been forced to use the following pronouns once, and hopefully only once, in the hopes that we will never have to hear these vile, misguided words again. Please, take a moment to understand and recognize that the following pronouns are offensive and shall not be used in this safe space. He, him, his, man, male, guy, dude, brother, father, uncle, she, her, hers, woman, female, chick, girl, sister, mother, aunt. Yes, 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 calm down, I apologize, but our legal department insists we provide clear guidance on the no-no words in order to facilitate an understanding of the words and the consequences of using those words. Those consequences will be spelled out during today's presentation. Everyone, please enjoy the show. I just finished watching parts of the gropey Joe Biden press conference, and I think the best way to sum up his senility, his mental derangement, his Alzheimer's or his dementia, is to play this one very short clip. Now, he had all of the questions. We know this now for a fact. We've seen the video. We've seen the close-ups of the cue cards. We've seen the photographs of the journalists circled with their questions in the order that he was to call on them. This thing was all scripted out as I predicted. Completely, 100% scripted. All softball questions. But I want you to listen to this rambling, ridiculous, senile answer. Just just take a listen to this. It's it's disgusting. So the best way to get something done, if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to Anyway, we're going to get a lot done. What? What in the hell was that? That was the leader of the free world, the most powerful man on planet Earth, who could not finish a simple sentence. He just gave up. Feeble-minded, couldn't even read from a cue card or a teleprompter. This is the man representing you. This is the man representing me. This is the man who stands as the face of a nation. Even the Democrats must admit, this is a joke. And it won't be long before calls are going out to invoke the 25th Amendment and get rid of this guy. It is, it is really, really sad. It is elder abuse at its worst. And this is what we have to put up with. And if you think I'm laughing, I'm really crying. If you think I'm laughing, think about how they're laughing in Russia, in China, in North Korea, and in other adversary nations. Folks, we are ripe for a takeover. And when this clown leaves office, 
we're stuck with the cackling communist camel toe Harris, the former call girl who literally slept her way to the top. It is a sad state of affairs. And this clown, the groper in chief, gropey Joe Biden, who will be in his 80s in 2024, says he expects to run again in 2024. He didn't commit 100% to that, but he did say he expects to run again in 2024. He says, yes, my answer is yes. I plan on running for re-election. That's my expectation. When he was asked if he believed he'd be running against Trump, Biden replied, oh, come on. I don't even think about it. I have no idea. I have no idea if there will be a Republican Party. Do you? Well, when you cheat, when you allow hundreds of thousands of illegal votes to be cast, brought in by the truckload in the cover of darkness after all the votes were counted, and that all of those votes that get dropped off in the cover of darkness happen to go to you, yes, there is a possibility there won't be a Republican Party. When... He was asked about migrant families at the border. He said they should all be going back. But going back where? Where they came from? Or back into the United States? Much of his so-called press conference focused on immigration and the overwhelmed detention facilities at the border. He said, some families are not going back to Mexico because Mexico is refusing to take them back. Some, not all. We're in negotiations with Mexico. That's going to change. They should all be going back. In February, about 59% of migrant families were allowed to remain in the U.S., pending decisions on whether they will remove or be removed under provisions called Title VIII. Biden was asked whether he had rolled back policies on his predecessor, Donald Trump, too quickly. He said, first of all, the policies that were underway were not helping at all did not slow up the amount of immigration. That was a lie, of course. Gropey Joe lies a lot. And then he said, rolling back the policies of separating children from their mothers, make no apology for that. He is, of course, still separating children from their mothers. Rolling back the policies of remain in Mexico, sitting on the edge of the Rio Grande in a muddy circumstance with not enough to eat, I make no apologies for that, Gropey Joe said. I make no apologies for ending programs that did not exist before Trump became president that have an incredibly negative impact on the law, international law, as well as on human dignity. Of course, those policies were put into place when gropey Joe Biden was the vice president under Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama. He says the goal for his new administration would be 200 million vaccines administered in 100 days. The original goal was 100 million, as you know. And supposedly that number was hit last week. He said that the filibuster is a Jim Crow relic and he might back changes to the filibuster. He said the 60 vote hurdle in the Senate was being abused in a gigantic way. He said he also agreed with Barack Hussein Obama's assessment that the filibuster was a Jim Crow relic. Biden said he strongly supports reforming the silent filibuster to a talking filibuster where senators who want to block legislation would have to stand on the floor and talk endlessly, and that when they stop talking, the filibuster ends. He cited statistics that were just 58 motions to break a filibuster from 1917 to 1971, but last year there were five times as many. Democrats in the minority invoked the filibuster in most instances. If they do do away with it, it will likely come back to bite them in the ass. 
Of course, even knowing the questions and the canned answers and having them written on paper right in front of him, he stuttered and stammered and mumbled and fumbled and just really made an ass of himself. When he was asked whether he will fulfill campaign promises of pushing gun control through Congress, he said it's a matter of timing. As you all have observed, successful presidents better than me have been successful in large part because they know how to time what they're doing. He said his next major initiative is to rebuild infrastructure and that he'll announce a plan in Pittsburgh to do just that on Friday. It was a pathetic show. It was a horrendous so-called press conference. And not one single conservative reporter was given the opportunity to ask a question. Their pictures were not circled on the fold-out cue card that Gropey Joe used as his reference for tonight's sham press conference. And I want to finish up this evening with a piece from the Daily Mail. Rhode Island Democrats say the Senate dress code is favored to white people. Several young lawmakers in Rhode Island have complained that the Senate's dress code is oppressive and biased towards white people. The Rhode Island Senate approved a dress code in a 29-7 vote on Tuesday mandating that elected officials wear proper and appropriate attire, such as blouses, dress slacks, collared shirts, and an accompanying jacket. And while most Democrats voted to pass the measure, seven extreme left-wing senators dissented, including the newly elected senator Jonathan Acosta, a 13% hyphenated American, double-A, Blafrican-American minority, age 31. He spoke on the floor during a debate on that issue. He claimed it was super inappropriate for a white male Senate president to bestow normative judgment on what people were able to wear. He said, these rules make it okay for us to judge people based on the way they dress or how they look, and I just feel that's super problematic. He called the dress code oppressive and added, Folks use expressions like professional, presentable, and appropriate. What they mean is white-collar, white-western dress. During the debate, Costa purposefully donned a black gallobira, a traditional Caribbean dress shirt without a collar. He claimed that the Senate dress code has not been widely enforced and that he's been wearing cardigans, joggers, and Air Jordan sneakers for weeks. That's probably why they passed the appropriate dress code, you moron. You were dressing like a thug. If you're going to do business and be a business person doing the people's business, you need to dress appropriately. He said, I assure you, what I wear does not influence the quality of the work I produce. He's a former teacher. Oh God, that should explain a lot. He said, in my first year of teaching, I wore a shirt and tie every day, and I came to realize that what I was doing was reaffirming to all the black and brown poor kids that in order to be successful, you had to try and look and approximate whiteness as much as possible. That is the message that you will be forcing down the throat of all the residents of Rhode Island with your dress code. He was supported by a couple of other newly elected Democrat senators, including Cynthia Mendez. She said... When powerful men dictate decorum and make demands over our bodies and our dress, it translates to colonization language. They need to remind everyone who is in power. It has always started with what you tell them to do with their bodies. You know it when you see it. I'm telling you folks, 
They just want to go in there, I guess, in Bermuda shorts and flip-flops and tank tops. Quit acting like animals. You are in the United States of America. A particular custom has been in place for hundreds of years. It is the tradition of our nation that you dress appropriately, assimilate into the culture. If you don't like it here, please jump on a boat and go back to wherever it is you want to emulate. If you want to dress like a Caribbean thug, then go to the Caribbean and dress like a thug. It's just that simple. Some Democrats disagreed, like Senator Louis De Palma. They argued the dress provision was about showing respect. It's not about judging how anyone looks. A dress code and decorum are about respecting an institution that is 200 plus years old, he stated. Said he supports the attire rules, even as he admitted it was difficult to trade in his beloved Chippewa boots for dress shoes and secondhand suits in order to enter the chamber. When you enter this courtroom, dressed the way you are dressed, you disrespect the whole entire judicial system. The businessman and farmer said to much applause, it's not about disenfranchising anybody. Sometimes you have to force respect. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts program for late evening, the 25th of March, 2021. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about tomorrow. Have a good night, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved.